You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to this episode of The Zeitgeist. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. And I'm really glad to have uh, have with us today uh, as a special guest, Dr. Ellen Überscher, who is the uh, co-chair, if I get it right, uh, of the Heinrich Böll Foundation, which is a political foundation in Germany, which is uh, affiliated with the Green Party. Um, you've been in this position for about four years or so, five years. Five years. Um, and, uh, and so Dr. Überscher is in Washington. And so we're having this conversation in person. Um, uh, Ausnahmsweise, and uh, it's really great to, to have a chance to talk. Thank you for having me. Um, so Germany has just been through uh, an election a uh, little bit more than a week ago, uh, and I think everyone is still trying to understand the results and figure out what kind of a coalition might come uh, into being, what the government of Germany will look like in the future. But maybe for starters, who won this election in your view? Mainly three parties won, uh, but there's one uh, clear winner, and this is democracy, because more than uh, uh, 80, uh, uh, 88% of the, or 89% of the voters voted for parties within the democratic spectrum. So what we don't see is a kind of political polarization between uh, between certain uh, uh, spectrums, but we see that the voters um, want to see democratic parties ruling the country. And that uh, percentage you mentioned is basically the entire electorate minus the 10% or so who voted for the, right, the extreme right uh, alternative right, for Germany. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and what we've also seen in this election is, uh, on the one hand, a historically um, high return for the Green Party, um, around 15%, just under 15%. Um, maybe some are disappointed because uh, the polls uh, earlier in the, uh, in the summer showed them much higher, but nevertheless, uh, historically high result and historically low results for the, the so-called Volkspartei, the, the SPD and the CDU, CSU. Is this an irreversible trend in your view that do you have this decline in the in the catch-all parties and the rise of uh, of parties like the Greens and the Liberal FDP? Yes, I think so. That because in a society which gets more plural and more diverse, we uh, it's a difficult concept to have a catch uh, as we are referring to catch-all party. Uh, and I think this is an, an advantage of, of the, the, the electional system in, in Germany that you could uh, have representation of different milieus and, and uh, uh, people who, who want to gather around more transformative ideas and that tend to be more liberal or um, that you're able to, to, to give your vote to a party where you say, okay, they are they care more for the social issues and, and you can choose more and this is appropriate uh, towards a diverse um, society. Put an emphasis with your vote. You can't put an emphasis on a, a certain political issue. That also requires, though, that these political parties be more flexible in their ability to work with each other because this situation requires coalitions that have never existed before at the federal level, 
at least. Um, so what's your assessment of the, the ability of the political parties to cope effectively with this new situation? I mean, the, the situation we do have now that we have various coalitions within the German state, that's a good prerequisite to, to say, okay, why should this be possible on a national level? Um, because uh, uh, all parties, um, for instance, are pro-Europeans. So they, they have common stances and common values to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. the, the overall, German politics are uh, based on a kind of consensus. We are a democracy and we look uh, we have seen in the past what, what could be possible and we want to stay and we put an emphasis on, on democracy and we put an emphasis on compromise, on dialogue and on uh, in the end on, on, uh, on the consensus to, to uh, come forward with a liberal, uh, with a liberal democracy. Uh, so, and this is always the first sentence to say all democratic parties should be uh, able to cooperate to cooperate with uh, which one another. So under this prerequisite, I would say that the situation is in uh, is um, this part of that new because we have the three uh, parties and they yeah. have to come to terms and they have to um, they have to have a different kind of coalition treaty. Uh, in the past, they 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 agreed upon certain projects, and then over time, they made a check. Okay, this project check, the next project check, and this couldn't be the way to to. They, they would sit for a year to 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 figure out what projects could could be done. I mm -hmm. think there's a more an awareness of. Uh, of a new political style we need to have more on on um, coping with complexities coping with volatilities and and coping with um with with uh with big big transformational uh tasks the climate crisis to, uh, is to to we, we really have to take steps forward in terms of solving the climate crisis and yeah. and and, and Combating in terms of digitization, this is a kind of a whole of government issue, and this uh, this really is uh, is calling for a new kind of, of of politics. And as far as I can see, this um, what what they are aiming at between the liberals and the greens that they negotiate together and figure out what is the kind of policy we do want to make together? What is the narrative for, for this new government? This kind of, uh, this has never been the case to think uh, in, in that way before the coalition talk, not, yeah. not to see what, what, is my, what is my win, but to see how can we have a government which creates a win-win situation. And there's also a generational um, a Absolutely. factor here, Absolutely. which is that the uh, the FDP and the Greens were strongest among younger voters, mm -hmm. especially voters under 40, yeah, 45. 30, yeah. um, and um, and uh, on the contrary, the Social Democrats and the CDU, CSU, much stronger voters, 60 plus. Mm -hmm. um, so how does that uh, how does that intergenerational uh, equity then find uh, find its way into a governing a coalition agreement. Um, uh, what 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 does that uh, say about uh, changing an, German politics? Absolutely, that's an interesting point that we um, we have to give voice to to the future generations. As, as we have seen that the uh, the, the constitutional court 
um, uh, made a, a decision this year that the the, the freedom of and the liberty of the uh, coming generations of the younger generations are as valuable as the the, the liberty and freedom of the the the, the nowadays generation, so to speak, um, is. And this really changed, especially in thinking about. The, the, the climate crisis measures or the anti-crisis measures, this really changed the political scene because all of a sudden the, the, the way and the, the meaning of, of the younger generations have a higher, uh, have a higher stake. So, so they, they, it showed what is at stake for the younger generations and the, and the older generation have to stick to it and have to, to, to make up their minds. Yeah. So it, but, but I would say, of course, they the 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 older generation voted for uh, for pension for the for social topics or for uh, conservative values and 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 so on. Or they voted for for what they knew. They voted for security and and for stability. But we've seen, especially when when uh, in twenty nineteen when Fridays for Future was as strong as it was as it was, we've seen. Lots of older people that gathered, for instance, the Omas for Fridays for Future are the grandmas for, for Friday for Futures. So they supported the younger generation and they said, okay, these are my grand, my children and my grandchildren. I want them to, to have a sustainable future and to, to find a livable, uh, to find a livable world. So I think the sympathies for, for the older generations. Um, and and uh, and they're caring for what are the problems of the of the younger generations is bigger than than the outcome of election shows. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the constitutional court decision, and uh, of course, which was which required the government to to pass a new climate law um, uh, with more ambitious uh, targets. Um, Climate, of course, played a role in this election campaign. One thing that didn't play much of a role was uh, foreign affairs. Uh, perhaps a bit there was a bit of discussion about uh, the European Union, uh, but even that, not very much. Um, so, for people on this side of the Atlantic, as we look at um, the German political trajectory, um, how should we understand the role of the traditional elements? of the transatlantic bond. On the one hand, it's been NATO and the security uh, partnership, um, uh, and then of course the strong economic relationship. Do you see the transatlantic relationship changing? Um, I would say the, 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 the focus, or, or let me start with, with, the, uh, with an explanation why this was, wasn't a topic during the election campaign. All the parties were, pro-European, uh, all the democratic parties. So there is a consensus on, uh, on these uh, topics. That's why uh, there was no point, how do I make a difference or uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in that way. So that was uh, not a real uh, excuse, but, but it explains perhaps a bit uh, why these topics were so absent. From my point of view, we do need a new foundation of the transatlantic narrative. It, it couldn't be the... I mean, the, 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 the idea of uh, uh, the U.S. supported us after the World War II, I mean, this is more than four or five generations away from now. And we see new patterns, we see new interests uh, amongst younger generation. I think we need a civil 
kind of civil society basis for the transatlantic narrative. But this is, it's not only about security issues. It's not only about NATO. It's about uh, 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 civil rights. It's about uh, um, uh, inequal or equality of, of each mm -hmm. and every person. It's about uh, combating climate crisis. And, uh, and we should really put an emphasis on, on these uh, these new topics um, being a source for, for a new transatlantic uh, relationship with younger generations and their topics. So that's why I would really recommend to, to draw the attention from the security issues away um, to, to how can we cooperate as civil societies. And we've seen under the Trump era that a lot of sub, on, on a subnational level, a lot of initiatives uh, uh, have taken place that society got a more uh, uh, got stronger was stronger related and, and communities uh, uh, reached out uh, to one another and and we saw these three big movements. We saw the, the climate the movements of the youth. Um, we saw the women's movement. And we saw the 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 movement for 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 life, so to speak, of the of, of young people, and this resonated very much in in all over Europe. And I think this this should be a, a part of the new foundation of the political uh, of the transatlantic narrative in order to come forward to uh, with with future uh, relationship. Uh, and one other element of that transatlantic relationship, of course, is the economic interdependent, interdependence and, uh, and the trade and investment relationship between the United States and Europe. Um, of course, climate policy is, uh, is going to play a role there um, as well. So how, how do you see um, this interaction of economic, uh, of, of economic competitiveness in the future and uh, and climate policy um, uh, playing a role, and is it going to be the same in Europe and in the United States? In your view, I think we should be open about interests, and uh, but but on the other hand, we will always be. I mean, in tech policies, there is always a, a crucial ethical issue and an, and a value based issue in this, and we will always be on the same side of the page. Uh, compared to China and other autocrat, uh, autocratic uh, regimes who want to 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 set standards on and to to be coercive towards partners and to to use this uh, as a as a weapon uh, mm -hmm. uh, to, to survey people and so on and on and we and I think the the that we do have the unique chance at the moment to come forward with. Um, um, with with uh, standards in in terms of uh, if you look at IAI, do we have a high risk approach together? We we could have it. We could have said, yeah, we are really aware of of the risks of new technologies, and and let's have a dialogue. How how can we um, uh, ex ante ex ante uh, uh, regulate and 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 think about it and say what what are the guardrails for, for for developing for further development of technologies? Of course, we there there, there has to be a competition uh, mm -hmm. of, of best ideas and of of, uh, of business models and so on and on. And um, we 
as Europeans, we should be honest about our interests um, as far as batteries, uh, semiconductors, software, and so on and on is concerned. But um, there is a big range of possibilities to cooperate. And I'm very happy that this uh, tech, um, tech Council in Pittsburgh um, went out quite well because they set the right, uh, uh, the right topics on the agenda. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, the most important thing is to, to, to have a dialogue and to see how can we come together with regulation. There's a lot of regulation in terms of tech on the way in, within the European, in the European and the, uh, Union at the moment. And this, I think at the moment, it's not too late. It's right, uh, uh, the right time to, to join in for the, for the US and to, to see how can, we come to, uh, how can we come forward together with regulation and with standard setting in, in terms of tech, um, uh, tech regulation. Okay. And so we've talked about climate a bit. We've talked about technology. We've talked about the transatlantic relationship. Um, if you if you look ahead at where Germany um, is going, we'll be embarking on a new coalition type um, uh, at the federal level, um, new personalities uh, in some cases uh, in government, most likely. Um, what what is what is the what is the hope um, that you draw from this? Where, where do you see Germany going in its role in Europe? In its role, um, uh, not only in you know, inwardly focused um, in setting Germany's direction, but Germany's engagement with Europe and with the world. Do you see growing ambition there? And if so, how will it be expressed? Absolutely, I would say we, we, um, we will see a more pro, I mean, if the Greens and the government, um, uh, so uh, brackets closed, um, we will see a more proactive Germany in terms of Europe, uh, a more proactive European uh, uh, player. And we will at the same time see a, a, a transatlantic openness to, to, to cooperate and to, in, in all the things we were talking about, uh, tech policies, climate policies, especially, because we really have to, to see how we can we solve this uh, humanity uh, problem all together. We need to cooperate and we, um, and we have to make up our minds amongst the value-based and the rule of law, liberal democracy, and see what we do have to negotiate with the autocrats and to support, the, uh, by the way, the, the civil societies and the human rights activists in these contexts as well. Mm -hmm. But we have to negotiate with them and to see where, can we, where, where are they co operative in terms of, uh, of solving the climate crisis. We, we do need China to, to solve the problem. We do need Russia. So there, but we, we should have a, a common idea and a common strategy in, in terms of transatlantic uh, uh, relationship, how to, to approach these, uh, um, these uh, um, partners is not the right word, these uh, uh, players, yes. <laughs> global players. Okay. Well, I think that's an optimistic note on which to uh, bring this discussion to a close. Uh, Ellen Ubercher, thank you so much for uh, coming to Washington uh, and for being part of this uh, discussion on this episode of The Zeitgeist. Um, we will look forward to having all of our listeners with us uh, uh, again soon. 
and I want to wish you all the best, uh, a lot of success and uh, uh, interesting discussions here in Washington and in Baltimore. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.